Hi, this is Ben Lola, back to the Bible Canada. Does God never change? On the program, we'll be looking at an important aspect of the nature of God in our current series, This Is Our God. So let's begin with our message called The Unchangeable I Am with Dr. John Newfeld. I need to confess that I am not what I used to be. I occasionally look at the old pictures, you know, for instance, the ones taken at my wedding. And if you don't think me too vain, not only was my bride breathtakingly lovely, for she really did take my breath away, but I gotta say, I was no slouch myself. But things have changed. You know, for one, I've developed a bald spot in the back of my head, and what hair remains has gone ever more gray. I've gained a few pounds, and I've added the occasional wrinkle. But I think I've also become wiser, and I've learned to know just a little bit better what's worth dying for and what's not. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I have changed, and the process of change didn't stop with me this morning. It goes on. And I'm delighted to say that more change is up ahead, especially the change when I'm translated into glory. And I'm very much looking forward to that. And I think I'll continue to change in heaven. No, I'm not going to ever sin again, and I won't grow old. That part of change is gone. But I assume I'm going to mature in heaven, I'm going to learn, I'm going to accomplish, and I'm going to grow as a human being for all eternity and all of this to the glory of God. But enough about me. For three weeks, we're talking about God. And on the issue of change, I wish to read three significant passages. The first one is taken from Psalm 102, verses 24 to 27. It's the prayer of someone who's afflicted in suffering. It says, O my God, I say... Take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your ears have no end. What an amazing contrast. I'm changing all the time. I'm getting old and feeble and frail. But you are never changing. You are always exactly as you have been before. If it is a billion years ago or billions of years into the future, you will remain precisely as you are right now. That really is an amazing thought. Allow me for just a moment to follow this thought down a bit of a rabbit trail. It's significant that the writer of Hebrews quotes from this very passage in Hebrews 1, 10 to 12. The quote in Hebrews is almost identical to that found in Psalm 102, but what is fascinating about the Hebrews quote is that the writer applies this not to God the Father, but to the Son, to Jesus. The entire point of Hebrews 1 is that the Son is fully equal to the Father. Now, I've said I'm in danger of following this down a rabbit trail. I mean, the implication of what I've shared leads naturally to discussion of the Trinity and why the attributes of the Father must be equally applied both to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. All that is true of the Father is also true of the Son and of the Spirit. But we're dealing with that issue in week three of this study. I only mention it here because I think we should notice it. Now, back to the issue of the changeless character of God. We've looked at Psalm 102. Now let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. The passage is brief, but also insightful. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Again, we have a rather straightforward affirmation that God does not change. But in this passage, there's an important application we must not miss. 
The context of the passage is a prophetic rebuke for the sins of Israel. God is portrayed as a consuming fire, ready and willing to burn away the impurity of sin. But God also claims a people as his treasured possession. And in that context, the changeless character of God becomes such a precious truth. The reason God hasn't become tired of the Israelites and consumed them along the way is because the one with whom they are dealing has never changed. The faithfulness of God is here paired to the immutability of God or his changeless character. One more passage of consideration before we begin to tease out all the implications of this. The last passage comes from James 1, 16 to 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You know, the context of that passage is that it is written to believers who are encountering trials in this life. The believers are to remember that it is not God who is tempting them, but that his intention for them is always good. Unlike the variation of night changing into day or of shifting shadows due to the position of the sun, nothing of that kind exists in God. No variation is ever found in him. All things in God remain exactly as they always are at every single moment in time. God does not grow old. God does not learn new truths. God does not become anything. God is the one eternal constant. It was Henry Francis Light who, in his famous hymn, Abide With Me, wrote in the second verse of that hymn, Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. See, the application in James is much like the application in Malachi. We should remind God's people that they can always count on God. No shadow of change is ever found in him. What he is is what he will be. Now, we've gained an insight into the plain teaching of Scripture, but let's see if we can tease that out just a bit further. Many Bible teachers have noticed that the unchanging character of God is expressed both in his being and in his purposes or in his plans. Let's take it one step at a time. First, God is unchanging in his essential being. See, I love this quote from Herman Bavinick, and before I read it, please take note that when he uses the word immutable, he simply means changeless. So here's the quote. The doctrine of God's immutability is of the highest significance for religion. The contrast between being and becoming marks the difference between the creator and the creature. See, that's key. I am not all I wish to be, but God is all that he wishes to be. He has never been anything short of what he wishes to be. I am becoming something. God is not becoming anything. What he is today, he will always be. Thou who changest not. See, I may look at my life and find there are some areas in which I wish to grow. God never sees anything in himself that needs more or less. Growth, change, or progression. God's being is, in that sense, entirely stationary. Now, we're going to come back to why that's such wonderful news, but let's move to the second expression of God's immutability. God is changeless in respect to his purposes or his plans. That idea is expressed in many places in the Bible. For instance, Psalm 33 verse 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. 
the plans of his heart to all generations. Or when Jesus taught in parables, Matthew interrupts the parables of Jesus by making an observation, and I'm quoting from Matthew 13, verse 35. Matthew says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what was hidden since the foundation of the world. See, what's fascinating about this observation is this. It has to do with how we approach both Jesus and the idea of the New Testament. It's not that the New Testament is new to God. This has existed since the foundation of the earth. This has always existed. God's plans were birthed in eternity past, but they have been hidden from us and revealed at the appropriate time. From our perspective, there are new things. From God's perspective, these things have always existed. Now consider Isaiah 46, 9 to 11. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Here we see quite plainly that not only is God changeless in his being, but he is changeless in his intent, his purpose, his plans. And this is great news. How horrible it would be if God promised us something and then changed his mind or encountered something new and unexpected and then had to revise or rethink what he had intended. See, if that were the case, we would not be able to count on the promises of God. But our hope in the promises are based upon the character of God or upon the immutability of God. Because God is changeless in his essential being, I have complete confidence that when he promises me something in the gospel, that the plans of God come out of the being of God. Nothing changes ever. If God promises to make me live in Christ through his cross, that promise stands for all time. The unchangeable nature of God is a truth we can dwell on to give us hope and purpose in a world that is constantly changing, in the people around us, in our circumstances. We never know what's going to happen, but what a wonderful thing to understand that God's plans and his character, well, they never change. Stay with us after the break as Dr. Neufeld explains why the doctrine of immutability is so important to our understanding of God. Thanks for joining us today. Let me ask, have you signed up yet for our very first Alaska Adventure Cruise this July? From July 3rd to the 10th, we're taking guests on a spectacular ministry vacation aboard one of the finest ships in the ocean. Sail on the Celebrity Infinity and enjoy amazing scenery as well as fun, fellowship, and most importantly, spiritual refreshment. Hear messages from Dr. John Newfeld. Be encouraged by Phil Calloway of Laugh Again, plus worship with our special musical guest, Amanda Stott. For more information and to register, please visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. One of the false gospels that have been preached is the idea that God is constantly adjusting his plans based upon what he encounters. You know, added to that is what some theologians have called process theology. It's the idea that God himself is in process. 
Now, these theologians argue that God doesn't know everything. It was years ago that a Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Kushner, in his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, argued that God is upset when bad things happen. It's just that he can't get around to doing everything. I mean, give him a break. And Woody Allen argued that if God exists, he's not bad, he's just an underachiever. Pretty cheeky stuff. Now, Gregory Boyd, in his book, God at War, argued that we are locked in a great spiritual conflict, great spiritual war, and that in this war, as in all wars, bad things happen. Boyd said that God weeps when these things happen. He just can't prevent them. You know, added to these lesser views of God is the idea that God is in process, always learning, always growing, always changing. Now, these theologians will point out passages in the Bible in which it is said that God changes his mind. Well, let's look at three of these. The first is Genesis 6, 5 to 6, which read, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved his heart. Second passage is in Exodus 32. The event in question happens just after the sin of the people who are making a golden calf and worshiping it. Verses 9 to 10. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and that I may consume them in order that I make a great nation of you. Now, from that passage, it would seem like God is telling Moses, you know, I'm tired of these people, so let's abandon my original plan. And then we read Moses' response. Verse 13 records him as saying to God, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. In other words, if you do what you say you're now about to do, won't that make all your past promises invalid? And if you do that, how will you salvage your reputation as the keeper of promises? And then on to verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. One more example, and this one from Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, what do we make of these things? Let's set a standard for our Bible study. Let's begin with the assumption that the Bible really doesn't speak out of both sides of its mouth at the same time. Let's assume it really doesn't contradict itself at all. In that case, those passages that make a very clear declaration that God does not change in his essential nature nor in his plans, that must be true. The three examples we've just given are not declarative statements. They're not descriptions of who God is. In order to understand who God is, we must understand him in the light of what he says about himself. Now, that would mean that God does become grieved over the sin of the human race, for instance, before the flood, but neither his being nor his purposes changed. But God grieving that he made man tells us that even though God's purposes never change, we must not think of him as a heartless automaton who never enters deeply into the plight of the human experience. He grieves deeply over the righteous judgment which he will bring upon the human race. He sorrows as deeply as a man might sorrow over a child that's gone astray. The point in the Bible is that God is both infinite and unchanging, and yet he is deeply involved in the moment-by-moment experiences of the human race. His great, eternal, unchanging purposes remain true, and yet he is deeply and intimately involved in our experiences. 
He who never changes abides with us, us whose lives are in constant change. He does not stand aloof from us. He loves, he grieves, he feels deeply our plight, even when he brings judgment and damnation. In the case of Moses, God really didn't have to be reminded of his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, but Moses did. You know, we can read the entire account of God's response to the sin of worshiping the golden calf as God's plan to educate Moses. God was helping Moses to see that in spite of the fact that Israel did actually deserve damnation, his plans were eternal, and once he had promised, his promises not only would not change, but they could not change. And in the case of Jonah and the destruction of the Ninevites, something that didn't happen because Nineveh repented, this should not concern us at all. After all, God's intent is to communicate that if we harden our hearts, judgment falls. But if we repent, judgment really is averted. Indeed, an honest, straightforward reading of the Bible at all places reinforces that God's nature and purposes never change. What God was, he is. And what God both was and is, he will always be. So why is that so important? Let me suggest two horrifying possibilities. Let's assume that God does change, and if he does, he would change in one of two directions. He would either change for the better or for the worse. If he changed for the better, we must assume that what he did and promised us in the past is not as good as it might have been. And that would also mean that what he does for us today is not as good as what he will be able to do in the future. We would have a God, but we would not have God at his best. But what if God were capable of changing for the worse? What then? You know, even a little thought would tell us how horrifying this thought actually is. Since God ever lives, the change to evil might be small, but it would be infinitely progressive until God's cruelty combined with his great power would know no end. See, Wayne Grudem has said, a little reflection shows us how absolutely important the doctrine of God's unchangeableness is. If God is not unchanging, then the whole basis for our faith begins to fall apart and our understanding of the universe begins to unravel. Indeed, it is so. The only confidence we can have in God is entirely premised upon a God who is both changeless in his being and changeless in his purposes. It is this that leads to the conclusion that the cross and the gospel is indeed the best that God has to offer. With this, I want to take us back to an experience recorded in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is shepherding the sheep of his father-in-law at Mount Sinai at the very mountain where he will later receive the Ten Commandments. He comes upon a bush that's burning, but it's not consumed. He's amazed by what he sees, and as he approaches to take a look, the voice of God is all around him. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground, and in an instant the man knows that unwittingly he has rounded a corner and is now standing face to face with God. You know, in the dialogue, one burning question consumes Moses. What's your name? And the answer is not to give a name like the names of the nations who had gods in that day. Instead, the great creator says to him, I am. Not I am becoming, or I was in the past, or I will be, or I am the one you're encountering now. Rather, I am. God in his essential being does not have a succession of moments, nor does he progress from one state to the next, nor from one plane of existence to another. He simply is. 
time, like all other things, is his creation. And like his relationship to all other things he has created, he is not to be compared to time. He does not progress. He does not endure. He does not survive against all odds. He simply is. His unchanging existence is the one constant upon which everything else hangs, including our own faith. It is this blessed truth that allows us to walk in joy and in sorrow and to be filled with life or to stand at the precipice of death, to revel in certainty or to struggle with whether or not we believe and simply say, O thou who changest not, abide with me. John, I've been incredibly encouraged by your message today. But let me ask you a quick question. Uh, What might be the difference between our understanding of God as being unchangeable and God being rigid? It's a terrific question, Ben. Now, I think one of the reasons we think of uh, someone who's rigid, unbending, unyielding, is because we think of that person in a negative light because they don't change as a result of new information that comes in. Now, God is unbending and unyielding in this sense. He never has to consider new information. We need to, but his information is complete at all points in time. So nothing can be added to his information bank. So in God making eternal, unchanging plans, they are the only rational or reasonable plans that can be made. So I would say that the way in which we think of unyielding in our experience and the way in which it might apply to God is is fundamentally different simply because our knowledge base is so different. So I think we want to continue to say that God's plans never change in any sense. If you've never realized the significance and impact of God's unchangeable nature, I hope that today's message has been so meaningful for you to hear. As Dr. Neufeld has taught, we must not give in to thinking falsely that God does not know the future or that he's constantly changing his mind. No, the Bible has always confirmed that God and his plans remain consistent in accordance with his will. And yet we can be thankful that he is not distant or uninvolved in the lives of his people. So whatever situation or stage in life we're in right now, let us trust in and be comforted by our God, who is the unchangeable I Am. Join us tomorrow for another message in this series called The Ever-Present Spirit with Dr. John Newfeld. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Many of you listening today to the program may be familiar with our free ministry publication called Bible Matters. Well, we've just launched a brand new magazine this month that contains more content, variety, and allows our audience to engage with all three of our ministries, Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again, and In Doubt. We believe this is an improved resource that will encourage and inspire people of all backgrounds and spiritual journeys with the truth that is not only biblical, but practical and engaging. Each edition will feature various articles by Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld and Phil Calloway of Laugh Again and many other guest writers and authors. Plus, stay connected with the latest news and updates from the ministries and much more. Our new Truth and Life magazine is sent to your door every second month for free. So be sure to subscribe to the mailing list if you haven't already done so. 
Just call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or visit us at backtothebible.ca.